Hi, and welcome to the Hand in Hand Show, where caregivers and survivors have honest discussions about stroke. We are a part of Stroke Focus Podcasts. This is Cam, your host. We're here today with Dr. John Kilburn. Dr. Kilburn is employed as an associate vice principal for research and a professor of sociology and criminal justice at Texas A&M International University. And he had his stroke back in November of 2001, and he resides in Laredo, Texas, um, and he has a wife and two children. We're here to talk to him because he, of his stroke and things that he is involved in. Dr. Kilburn, do you mind if I call you John? Please go ahead. Yeah, John. Good. So tell us about your early life. Did your family have a history of strokes or what went on with that? Were there any precursors to this? Sure. Uh, I guess, well, I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana, and none of my family really had strokes. So there was no stroke history that I was aware of. Uh, at that time. I had my stroke at age 37. But I grew up in New Orleans. I had a pretty active life. I was athletic. I was like like a lot of kids of my generation. Mom kicked us out the house and said, go play. So go play, go hang out, run the streets. Uh, I'll confess, my teen years, I overdid it a little bit with alcohol and drugs, uh, but never had any significant direct health concerns related to that. And I quit uh, in my early 20s, quit all that. So I thought of myself as a pretty healthy person. I went to the gym a lot. I, I always liked exercising. My diet could have been a little bit better. It wasn't perfect, but I, I didn't have a lot of those characteristics that a lot of people would think, oh, he's not taking care of himself this way or the other. And I never had that sign of, of having parents that had uh, strokes. My grandmother had a stroke when she was in her late 70s, but now that I think about it, it, it was uh, may have been after my stroke. I, I didn't see it. I'll put it this way. I didn't see it coming. In our younger years, we all tended to drink or do drugs or both, and uh, then leave those behind. So that usually isn't a huge risk factor either. Taking care of yourself, exercising, sounds like you were doing it as you continued on. What was your life like right before the stroke? Like, I mean, you were working, you're apparently in a, maybe I would consider a more stressful job or um, at least keeps you busy. Sure. I was was living in Connecticut at the time and I was, uh, it was shortly after I'd gotten my, my PhD and I'm in sociology, so I'm not an expert on strokes. Uh, if people ask about details of neurological transmit, I don't understand it. So it's a background in sociology. But I was working as a professor at a university, Eastern Connecticut State University. I was doing a little consulting on the side. And I was, in some ways, some people would say, living the American dream of making money. I bought a house. I was married. I had two children. I was worried about finances because I was making money, but I was, I was investing in the stock market like everybody in the 1990s, watching those technology stocks go up and saying, woohoo, I'm rich. And then all of a sudden watching them go down and saying, oh no, I'm not rich. I've got money problems. So 
I was probably someone who was spent too much time worrying about money for good or bad. I was worried about making money. Getting, I was a little worried about status. I was worried about being a professor, being successful in my career, my wife, my kids, having the good life and the good image and all that. So I was... How's that changed for you now, which just led me into that, because do you feel like you're different now as far as that goes? Of course, sort of, you know, it's one of the little jokes we have running along the group is a stroke of luck, uh, was that I don't worry about a lot of stuff. I, I frequently tell the story of, of recalling being in the hospital bed just a few days after the stroke and a friend of mine coming to visit me and uh, I couldn't couldn't speak, couldn't really acknowledge her at the time, but I could see her. And I was trying to almost send telepathic signs by saying, come hold my hand. That's all I want out of life, you know? Someone just come hold my hand. Tell me you love me. Let me just, you know, say hi to me. Yeah. Let's just talk. I wasn't worried about money. I wasn't worried about if my kids were perfect or my wife was this or that. I was worried about just, hey, I want to be loved. I want someone to take care of me. I want to be able to just live. I want to get up and just live, live life. It yes. That's so simple. Totally understand that because it's the same thing for me in a way that now I don't worry about. Well, I mean, I do worry about money at times, but I, I, it's like those filters are gone. It's like, I don't care what people think about me. I, I just want to live. I just want to move on. I just want to learn new things and, and who cares about the other stuff. So in some ways I do get what you're saying. I remember it well, just it, it, so much of this process, as I was riding to the hospital with my wife telling her, you know, it's okay if you get married again, it's okay. I, but I just wasn't worried about all these things I worried about. And to this day, I've never had that level of concern or worry. I know. Isn't it amazing? I guess then that tells me kind of what was going through your head when you had a stroke. Did you actually know you were having a stroke when you were having it? Or did you kind of not? Okay. And I was in denial. I mean, I, I've, uh, you know, I, I remember that very well. It was, uh, a warm sensation. I was thinking about like being in a bathtub and pouring a warm cup of water down the back of my head and down my neck. And it felt this warming sensation for like a very, very brief period of time. And, uh, and I thought I'd like pulled a muscle in my neck. It's kind of like, Oh, Oh, that kind of hurt. And I was in pain and I was perspiring all night and I, I wasn't going for help. I, I was going to be I was in pain, but I'll, I can deal with this. I just hurt my neck or something, or I didn't understand what it was. Yeah. It wasn't until till much later when I uh, decided I would drive myself to the doctor and uh, drove myself to the doctor. And he was so calm and he didn't reveal anything. He said, listen, what I'd like you to do is go to the hospital and they're going to have a CAT scan. And I didn't know what a CAT scan was or what it was for. And, and I remember going to the uh, 
the to the hospital for the CAT scan. I remember them yelling at me because I vomited. I was in so much pain, but I was still in the, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then he got on the phone and said, uh, listen, this is not, not to be a, you know, big rush, don't, but there's a neurological uh, surgery team waiting for you at ICU at Hartford Hospital. Please get there as soon as possible. And that's when I went, whoa, this is serious. And yeah. I, it, I mean, up until then, I knew I was in agony. I knew I was in pain. I knew something was wrong, but I figured I could ride it out or whatever. And uh, that was when the tears came of, of the fear of death. Probably yes. the only time I'd felt that, that, that fear of death or, or at least that quick clear off my soul or the agenda. Of, hey, are the kids going to be okay? You can get remarried again. I love you. Uh, just uh, figure out what to do with the money and, you know, <laughs> you know uh, just, just tell everybody hi, uh, bye. And I, I don't remember the exact words or quotes, but it was something along those lines of, okay, let's make sure we get those legacy and, and line them up really quickly. Uh, I remember going in the hospital, waiting and getting the uh, epidural or something that they were doing for the, and the doctor poking me and then hearing this phrase that there was blood in my spine. And then let's say, it's like, what does that mean? And nobody really told me. Right. And then after that, I don't remember for a few days. I was sedated or knocked out or I can't, I lost those, <laughs> that time for a little bit. I don't understand that, but I do because it was you probably, I guess, in saying that you had surgery, the drugs and, you know, whatever, and maybe, maybe was it an induced coma type thing you think? I, or? I, don't, I don't think it was an induced coma. I, you know, the interesting thing about this is I didn't ask questions. I didn't speak about it. I didn't ask questions. I heard them talk about stop leak and super glue was kind of their joke. And that was good enough for me. I, I didn't know what they did. I know that they put some type of catheter in my groin area and, and went up, but I never asked for any details about the procedures and what they did and didn't. And I, I kept silent about it and, and just said, it's good to be alive, but I never quite, which funny, cause I got a PhD. I'm analytic. I can analyze the crap out of just, Everything, it, sort of like the type of guy who would, under normal circumstances, I read everything I sign with great detail. Mm-hmm. That permission slip, here, whatever you want, babe, I'll sign it and you do what you want. Do what you need, whatever. I was not in a mood to negotiate and I wasn't in a mood to question. And I think now this probably has a good part and a bad part. A good part was really giving up control by saying I was in the hands of, of God, hands of the medical team, hands of whatever. I wasn't going to tell them what to do. The bad news is I I can't tell you details about that. On the other hand, right. that would be good for me that I don't know a lot of the details because I'd be thinking it, rethinking it, mm-hmm. analyzing it, and, and second-guessing. And Yeah, I think that many of us, when we're going through that, I signed forms. I don't know what I was signing, but I also, I call it I lost filters. 
So I would do or say things that just weren't who I was before. <laughs> uh, but I couldn't figure out little things like how to get out of a car. I mean, I knew I was supposed to know things. So, yeah, I kind of gave up control, too. It's like just tell me what to do and how to do it, and things will be fine. So it's a little bit different, but yet it's the same. Uh, yeah, I was very fortunate in the, the, the residual stuff. I, I was talking within a few days, and uh, I was able to, you know, while I was sort of bedridden for at least a month or so, I was able to move around. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was, it was just a new, way of, a new way of life that I would never have lived before. Uh, my mother-in-law and I... I wouldn't say it was tense, but she and I were not, were not close. She dropped everything and came up and flew up to Connecticut to take care of me. And mm -hmm. I was there, I was dependent on her and I'd kind of be yelling or something like that. And she'd come in with her Mississippi drawl. Yes, my Lord and master, hey, what do you want now? And she, you know, and she, it, it was a, a way of feeling really cared for. It took me a while to understand that this person taking care of me, learning to receive love, learning to be cared for, and that I needed help. That was, that was an amazing experience. She and I, I thank God she's still alive today. And I, I'm grateful. And uh, she and I have a beautiful bond. At first she didn't like me because I was a college student and my wife was working to help me get through my PhD and, you know, old school of uh, you're the man, you should be out there making more money. And it's like, ah, let it go. It, it Some of it is a Southern thing. Mm -hmm. I get it. It's, uh, Southern mamas. And I married <laughs> a baby. So it was the baby that was out there making money while I was, I was kind of just still going to school. That's funny. That brings back memories of, of my grandmother and, and different things. But um, what, in your recovery, I mean, we all know that, you know, physical therapy and to keep moving and trying different things. And I know with my therapist, and I think uh, you wrote that down too, you do what you're told and you just don't stop doing it. You know, the old statement, it's simple. It's not easy. Don't overthink it. Is if I'm supposed to stretch, I don't need to say how, why. And so if this person really knows what they're getting at and said, do these stretches, do the stretches. Well, one thing I've learned, and it's taken me years to figure this out, and, and now I, I'm fully willing to admit it, although I'll forget this lesson every once in a while. I can overdo something or I can underdo something if left to my own treatment plan. That there are professionals and extern, my trainers and stuff that will tell me more or less overlook it because I have hurt myself numerous times going, I can do more. I can push myself. And now it's good to push yourself, mm -hmm. but there's also a, I have overdone it and hurt myself. Right. Just like I've also gotten lazy and saying, I'm looking good. I'm feeling good. So I'll take a few days off and I'll not do this. And then all of a sudden something starts hurting back or, or I, I got to say that I definitely, absolutely, 100% listen to the trainers, the professional, the therapist. There's, there's a reason. It's stupid to sit there and play with that silly putty and, and, or take a peg out of that thing. And I, I, it's like, this is stupid. Well, guess what? 
you do it and it's I felt better. I've got to trust these people and listen to them. And that that really led to a lot of help in the recovery process. I just it's that simple. Listen to them and do it. I I have to say that um, they are very knowledgeable in what they do. And there's a reason why they're telling you to do what to do. And even though I'm not doing physical or occupational therapy anymore, my therapy doesn't stop. So, you know, I found a gym that will work with my disabilities and find things for me to do. A lot would not um, even touch me. <laughs> I mean, I can walk and everything. I can do stuff, but my balance is a huge issue. And a lot of people were like, oh, we don't want her in our gym. You know, she'll trip and fall or whatever. But I did find someone that would work with me and just a trainer even in, in what he did knew what I needed to do. And I strengthened myself. So, you know, I always tell people, don't stop, keep looking, you know, you'll find somebody who can work with you and, you know, before and after, during, you know, your therapy, whatever. So it's great that you have been able to understand that, you know, listen to those therapists and I, you know, that's a great message. Absolutely. I mean, certainly for the physical and as far as counseling, the mental side of it. I, I was in counseling two and a half years. Yeah, that and that's something that if you don't mind, I do want to talk about for a moment because I do see a therapist and I've been doing it for about four, four and a half years. For stroke survivors, I know that things like depression or learning to work with your disabilities or, you know, just general check-ins are needed. So it looks like, from what you said, you did it for two years, and both individual and marital. Yes. And I think that it's important. Were there reasons that you did that, or was it part of um, your treatment that somebody said, oh, you might want to do this just to find coping skills or, or anything like that? I don't remember exactly the uh, what set me into the th- – because the first feeling was, it's so good to be alive. And there, there was, you know, a few weeks of even in bed, not being able to work and things like that. I think I was okay. And then all of a sudden, it didn't take long before anger came in. Or rage. Now, let me tell you, that anger and rage was good for the physical stuff. Because it was like, I'll show them, I'll get out there, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be out there and I'll be on a treadmill. Heck, I'm going to run a marathon someday. Still haven't. But there was enough anger and rage that that helped me get to the physical stuff. Blaming my job, blaming myself, blaming my wife, blaming my circumstances. Who's at fault? Who caused this? What happened here? Why did this really happen? Why me? Uh, I've been in counseling in the past, but so I think there was something, for some reason, it was like to go in and they told me I was angry, and I was angry, and I was scared, and I talked about it with the therapist. That one of the more interesting things is I'd never talked about it outside of therapy with anybody. I think I had the line, you know, for a very short period of time when I'd made it back to work. It's good to be alive. 
we miss you. You know, like they'd say, we missed you. It's good to be alive. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know that I told a coworker or a friend my story. And I'm talking about for years, years. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have a tr- I don't have any trouble talking about my stroke. Yeah, because I, I think in the long run it helps you um, to acknowledge that you had it. But then the reactions you get, which brings us to something else, are well, you don't look like you had a stroke. Well, seriously, what does a person who had a stroke look like? Is what I always wanted to know. Or, I get that all the time because yeah. I'm not in a wheelchair. I'm not using a cane, and uh, I have, I have certainly very good use of my head. My phone, fine motor skills are not great. Buttoning buttons are still a pain in the butt. No. Mm-hmm. I, I won't be the guitarist I was at one time, but but. Yeah, I get that a lot. That you didn't, you don't look like you had a problem. And it's, yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> I also get you're too young to have a stroke, and then that's when I say, well, do you know you can have a stroke at any time in utero, all the way up till you know death or whatever at you know 110. Yeah, uh, I was too young. I was 37. Doggone it. I didn't deserve it. And I didn't blah, 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 blah. And part of the anger and I could sit there and negotiate and I was healthy enough and shouldn't have worried and this, that, and the other. Well, guess what? Yeah, I did certainly find out. There were a lot of people that were younger and healthier and this across mm-hmm. the spectrum that had strokes. Absolutely. Yes. So, um, you know, but that is something I've worked in the medical field now for 32 years and I knew about stroke. I thought I did. I've learned a lot since I had mine. Uh, I'm not a, a, a medical person per se. I know enough, as I say, to be dangerous. So have you been fairly healthy for since then? I mean, another stroke or? Uh, I haven't almost about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, I uh had a DVT, deep vein thrombosis, blood clot in my leg, and that moved to the lungs, the pulmonary embolism. That scared the heck out of me. That was another one of those things where uh, I'm still into this denial thing from time to time, but I'm not the best judge, which is why I need a therapist or a tra- at least a physical trainer for my physical fitness about pushing myself or stuff. Because I can remember... Uh, I was coming home from Las Vegas, a weekend in Las Vegas with my wife, and we'd flown in, and I was feeling kind of tired, and it was it was a Monday morning, and I just didn't feel good. I felt really, really bad, and I'd had some swelling in my legs, and I asked her, I said, can you rub my leg? It's just kind of sore, and apparently that might have moved the blood clot to the, <laughs> to the office, and I fell on the ground into the grass, and someone came up to me and said, I'm going to call an ambulance. I said, no, I'm fine, yelling from the ground. No, I'm fine. And he said, no, I need to call somebody. So I work on a college campus. So he said, well, let's at least get a golf cart to bring you to student health to look at. And the guy, <laughs> and that was really embarrassing because they're like, oh, come on, this is so stupid. I'm fine. And uh, the nurse practitioner looked at me and said, doctors or LMC, meaning doctor's hospital or Laredo Medical Center? 
I was like, no, well, uh, he said, no, doctors are LMC. I said, well, it depends. I'll go drop. No, no, we've got an ambulance coming. I'm like, no, I'm fucked. <laughs> and I <laughs> up my nose, and then I realized uh, it's that it was that serious. And I didn't realize that that was that serious. And, and you know, there are times that each time I – bad allergies or tightening in the chest. I, I get, I get nervous about right. my brave breathing. Is this it? Is this not? I mean, this is, this has happened for years and years before the, uh, you know, after the stroke, before the pulmonary embolism, but certainly since the pulmonary embolism, knowing my mortality and saying, Oh, when I get stressed out, my head starts throbbing. What does that mean? Is that it? Here it comes. Is this it? And is this, is this death, you know, or not, or what? And, and, I, and I go through that thought process, and it rushes through my brain of, okay, you ready to go yet? And no, yes, and it's... Mm -hmm. Almost everything you've said, I totally understand. I wake up with a headache, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, okay, is this the day I'm having another stroke, or is this something else? And I think we do tend to do that. And sometimes we do tend to downplay anything that's going on because we don't want, we, we're in that denial. What are some of the most important things that you would like to tell a survivor? Probably the first thing is appreciate the people that care for you. Your caregivers, be they paid professionals or people who are just around you because they love you, you're probably a pain in the ass every once in a while. Be kind to them. You <laughs> appreciate them. Learn how to accept the love. That's probably the most important thing because it's not all you, 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 you. What about me, 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 me? Because you got plenty of time to worry about me, 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 and you, 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 because you got the hospital treatment and all that stuff, and you'll have the bills and who knows. But appreciate your caregivers. That's the first, by far, the most important thing. And learn that the people that are doing that care about you. And they're worried about you. And when they say stuff, they may say stuff that might not be what you want to hear. And it might not even be accurate. You know, I think of my father going, you know why you had that stroke? You out in the rain and uh, it was cold and, and, and you shouldn't have been playing out in the cold that day. I think he still believes that. Were you wearing a hat out there in the cold weather? Because I, I, remember, I remember like a few days before, my father, sure, it was when I went to go see the Saints play the New England Patriots at Foxborough Stadium years ago. And I went out there in the cold weather and it was cold and the Saints lost. And he said, see, that was it. You were out in that bad weather. That's what caused it. Uh, it wasn't necessarily my job to, to win that argument, to, to be able to laugh that off of, hey, that's, that's a well-meaning dad that's worried and just saying what's, what he said. Yeah. That's the first thing. Second thing I'd say advice is, is listen to the professionals. Really listen to the professionals. When they say hold the putty till count to five and pick up the peg or take three steps, listen to them. Do the exercises. It's easy to not do the exercises on a daily basis or skip or not feel like it. Doesn't matter. Or you don't feel like eating or you've you like eating more. It just the more you listen to the professionals, the more I got a, I got good feedback 
I now know what to do. It's it's doing it. That's the hard part because every once in a while, there's nothing more dangerous than the words of a physician saying you're fine. Because I can be a yo-yo diet. That means woohoo! I'm getting a pint of ice cream and diet pizza and woohoo! <laughs> I'm fine. And then all of a sudden, I get scared again if I start getting some type of blood level thing that gets measurement that's a little bit off. And I'm a good patient then. I'll snap back to it. So listen to the professionals is, is the other thing. And uh, appreciate the gift. We got something that a lot of people don't understand. We know we're going to die one day. And we know that life is a precious gift. Take advantage of it. If you can sing, yes. sing, if you can dance, dance. If you can, you know, I one thing I've done fairly recently was I started doing community theater uh, about a year and a half, two, well, right after the pulmonary embolism. After that, that was my way of going, hey, you hadn't done that in 27 years. You used to enjoy doing that. Instead, mm -hmm. you know, why don't you go and act in a play? Why don't you go mm -hmm. sing? Why don't you live life? Live life this day. I love that. Yes. I, you know, and that's something my kids have told me. You know, I try new things. I, I don't seem to be as concerned about other things. So, yeah. So live life. It's not all about working. It's not all about, you know, taking care of the house and, and all of that. It's live it. You know, as they used to say, stop and smell the flowers or the roses or whatever. And that's what I think when we got the second chance, I think that's what a lot of us do is we move forward and do things. Yeah. Life could be joyous. And you know, what gives you joy and so the real, real fun stuff, the real stuff that all of a sudden people look, look, she's smiling. Look, he's smiling. And you know, just, yes. Yeah. Okay. I, and, and the fact that, you appreciate your caregivers. And that's something else that we've talked about because this doesn't just affect you, it affects caregivers. Um, those within your family or friends or people that are helping you. And uh, stroke isn't just you. And so I think that's wonderful that you understand that you have to thank these people that care for you or at least be what do you say, tolerant of them telling you what to do and how to do it and, and things like that. So do you have another message like for caregivers? Um, I know that you said that they are doing important work, which is so true, whether they're family or, or um, paid professionals. Yeah. Well, the words thank you may not come out as clearly. <laughs> Trust me, you're making an impact, caregivers. Thank you. If you don't hear it from them, you'll hear it from me. Thank oh. you, because it's very important, the work that you do. Because the sense of hope and the sense of somebody waiting for us to, to care about, I, I think I mentioned that already. I said that the essence of when I couldn't really talk well, move well, and it's in the hospital, I was trying to send telepathic message of somebody just hold my hand and love me. Yeah. How you show that love, what you do, how you do it, doesn't matter as much as that you care. And that was more important than anything, whether somebody baked 
cookies that I didn't like. The baking of the cookies were beautiful and appreciated. Whether it was flowers, which I couldn't care less, whether I got flowers and guess what? The thought of the flowers. Yes, absolutely. The thought of having a visitor. The thought Mm -hmm. of someone being there for me that I wasn't alone. Mm -hmm. Too much time in my head by myself. Not a good thing. No, it's not. Um, so before we go here, is there anything else that you wanted to um, touch on or anything else that you need, feel you need to say that you want to get out? I would like to give a wonderful shout out to some of my buddies from Laredo Stroke Support, some folks in my region that have experienced strokes and having them around, being able to talk with them, experience many different events and being able to go bike riding and hang out with them and talk to them and listen to their stories has helped me immensely. And I'm talking about someone who held it in for years and years. Mm -hmm. I first met and they said, we meet, we get together talking about some, it takes one to help one, but those characteristics have helped me immensely. Right. We, uh, talk a lot about, you know, we've all had a stroke, but the journeys are different, but it is always great to hear about what someone else went through because um, it helps us, I think, know that we're not alone, even though it's not, you know, the same, exactly the same. There are things that we touch on that that are the same or that are similar. So um, I, I think I'm a huge fan of stroke support groups and the people in them. Yes, absolutely. I totally appreciate you being here. I think you've given us positive things for a person, number one, who's had a stroke, but you've given us information about how you dealt with the situation. Thank you so much for being with us, for taking the time out of your day. We hopefully can talk to you again and and to use you as another resource Um, and maybe come back and and we'll figure out something else. Maybe talk about your support group or the people that are in them. I'll gladly be there if ever I can be of a source to talk or to listen to anybody that needs. Uh, I want to be there for them. People are there for me. All right for being here with me on the hand in hand show a part of stroke focus and hopefully we'll figure out some things to do later and uh, work with that wonderful bill dd paula and all the rest of the gang through laredo's stroke support everyone in that family thank you very much for making my life so much better and what you give to me and to everyone in the community thanks a lot kim You're welcome. I want to thank John Kilborn for being here, but also the Laredo Stroke Support Group to Bill Heinzer and Dee Dee Heinzer and to Paula Hooter for the wonderful work they are doing. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Hand in Hand Show. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to keep the discussion going, please join Stroke Focus the social media website dedicated to stroke survivors and caregivers. The website address is https colon backslash backslash www.strokefocus.net. 
Stroke Focus is S-T-R-O-K-E-F-O-C-U-S. Stroke Focus is a part of Wohala, which in Mandarin means I have survived. If you wish to be a part of the show or would like to be interviewed as part of the show, please contact us at contact at strokefocus.net.